So what is the root cause of procurement challenges? Stick around, we're gonna talk about that tonight. But first, good evening Agile Acquisition Enthusiasts. Welcome to the Underground Digital Camper. Uh, it's Friday night, and that means it's time for another episode of Agile Acquisitions and Alcohol. Cheers. All right. Well, first, to all my loyal fans, let me apologize. I have been a bit remiss in making videos. It has been a whirlwind for me, uh, starting a new, helping start a new company, as well as uh, still doing all of the various activities I've been involved in. Um, but these videos are very important to me. Uh, because I enjoy the dialogue that it continues to bring out and it helps to make me better because I have to give some serious thought around these this important subject matter so um, and on that note so on to tonight's episode I want to talk about I uh, just came back from a trip from London meeting with Ministry of Defense folks and talking about acquisitions and how things work there and what their challenges are and, and what I noticed was you know they have different rules different structures um, most importantly, different terminology, but at the root cause, all of the challenges come down to being the exact same stuff we face here over in the U.S. And that is really a, an aversion to risk and a fear of protest. Uh, this, is, this is important because uh, anytime you can sort of cross sort of cultural boundaries and kind of pull back layers and find out that at the root cause the problem is the same. Um, that is enlightening to me, one, because it means you've probably really found the problem, and two, it means that uh, a solution to the problem likely is applicable to more than just your own. So I think that's wonderful. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit, right? So risk and fear of protest. So this is kind of a, uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we get concerned about risk, we get concerned about protests, so we want to be more specific on our requirements, more clear on how we're evaluating, and when we do that, uh, we take longer. And we make the requirements very, very specific, which removes innovation. Uh, and what happens is, industry gets interested in an acquisition, takes a very long time, ends up eating up a lot of their bid and proposal resources, time, money, so on and so forth. Um, so then, when they finally find out they won, or didn't, most, if they find out they didn't win, um, they're not just upset, they've, you've actually impacted their business a lot more than just not winning that particular activity. You've prevented them from access to others. So they protest, right? Because they, they, they one, are upset, and two, they probably feel they should have won, or they wouldn't have submitted. Um, so this is where uh, I like to use a downselect model to address this risk. Uh, I find downselect uh, reduces risk on everybody's part. And if you're using an acquisition where you're focused on outcomes and let the innovation from industry, who really are the experts, uh, shine through and make your decision based on that, uh, I think you get a better outcome. But the downselect model, where you have a very light upfront uh, lift uh, I like to say the amount of effort from both industry and evaluators should be commensurate with each offerer's likelihood of winning. And that's just a way of saying, uh, in the beginning, you have one in N chances of winning because you don't know how many companies are bidding. Uh, but you might be interested in an opportunity and you think you're qualified and, and, and have a good chance. So there should be a very light way to sort of shift uh, or sift through the various vendors who think that about themselves, because some will be right, 
Some will be maybe right and some will be very wrong. Uh, in a typical acquisition model, all of those vendors would have to go through the entire process as the evaluators would have to evaluate all of the pro proposals to get to the point at which they determine this vendor really never had a chance. Um, so if uh, white papers, um, DHS has used video submissions, and that's kind of interesting uh, way to do it as well. Um, but some way that's very lightweight that industry can say, hey, this is who we are, this is how we would generally go about solving this problem or how we've solved similar problems like this. And let evaluators take a look at them and say, yeah, this, these are the piles these vendors kind of fit in. Um, even in the worst case scenario where you might be wrong and a vendor wants to challenge this, they can. Um, then you're left with two really simple choices. One, let them back in because, you know, okay, if they want to continue to pursue this activity, uh, that's not really anybody's, it's more their risk than yours. Um, and if they decide to protest, uh, at that point, there's very little of a protest, right? And you haven't lost much. Um, so, uh, but more importantly, they're less likely to protest because they've put significantly less resources into it. Um, and then after you've narrowed it down to a pool of vendors that have a likely chance of winning, then it's much more reasonable to ask for more information and get more of a commitment from both sides to determine it. So um, I think that's a great way to mitigate the risk. But it's important to uh, always consider where you're going to um, identify risk uh, opportunities or risk mitigation opportunities and um, put in place things to mitigate them as you work with industry, as you uh, continue to kind of hone in on your tasks there. So um, it's an international lesson. I think it would work in London as well as it would work here and anywhere else where they're attempting to uh, really overcome this sort of core foundational problem that everybody faces. So there you have it. Uh, that's what I see as a uh, sort of underlining risk at, uh, or underlining challenge that all acquisitions face and uh, an opportunity to potentially solve it. So thank you very much for tuning in and until next week, cheers.